today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. When you're at a place right now where you need to be on the receiving end, somebody's going to be pouring into your life. And then as Lord ministers to you, when you come through that, you're going to be able to minister to somebody else. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And eventually it'll come around so that we can be used by the Lord to minister to people in ways that we've been ministered to. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Nehemiah. Many of us have probably heard the old saying, what goes around comes around at some point in our lives. Whether it's the returning of a favor or a huge blessing years down the road, It's amazing whenever we get to witness blessings go full circle in our lives. In today's message, Pastor Gary teaches us how the Lord uses the body of Christ to bless others in otherwise trying times. In our study, we learn the importance of readying ourselves for the Lord and asking Him to guide us to others who might be in need of support. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Nehemiah 5 for part two of today's message titled, Being Others Oriented. Now, you have to remember at this particular time that Israel was part of the Persian Empire. The Persians ruled over this region, all the way from Iran to the Mediterranean, if you look at a map today. So that encompasses Israel. The the Jewish people were subjects of the king of Persia. Now, their economic hardship was not because they spent a lot of money on rebuilding Jerusalem, because what Nehemiah chapter 2 tells us is that actually the king, Artaxerxes of Persia at this time, when he allowed Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, when he allowed Nehemiah to leave Persia and go back to his homeland of Jerusalem to oversee this building project, Nehemiah chapter 2 says that the king Artaxerxes sent letters with Nehemiah ordering the neighboring peoples, who were part of the Persian Empire too, to give all the supplies to the Jewish people for the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. So in effect, the Persian government paid for the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem under Nehemiah's watch. The government said, we got this. All the Jewish people had to provide was manual labor and time. Otherwise, the government said, it's free. But how many of you understand that whenever the government says it's free, it ain't free, friends? All right? I don't care what they're telling you, friends, okay? There's no such thing as free college tuition. There is no such thing as free health care, free cell phones. Nothing is free. If the government says it's free, it's going to cost me. That's what I understand, right? Do you understand that? By the way, just by way of definition, because I'm reading these surveys of the younger generation, what they think socialism means, socialism, friends, does not mean social causes or social networking. 
that's what people are thinking today. Socialism is a step away from Marxism, which makes government God, all right? So government simply wants more of your money and reaching further into your pocket. When government says it's free, it ain't free. Don't believe that lie. So the Jewish people here, like the government's like Persia kings, like we got this. It's all free. No, it's not. Because what they ended up doing to recover the expenses was taxing them on their fields and their vineyards. And then the people were like, we can't come up with all this exorbitant tax money that we got to pay for all this free stuff. And so look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. So now they're getting increasingly more in debt. Borrowing just to even pay their taxes. Now, to compound all of this, Here's what's going on. Those within the Jewish community who were pretty well off were taking advantage of those who weren't as well off. And within their own community, those who had were saying to those who didn't have, oh, you need to pay your taxes? No problem. I got that. I got that for you. I'll pay the taxes for you. Just deed over your property to me. And they were doing that. Or they were saying, you hungry? I got food for you. Just put a second mortgage on your field and vineyards. I'll loan you the money. I'll give you the food. But now you're indebted to me and you got to keep paying me. And by the way, we're going to find out the interest rate was 12% a year. Okay? They're charging each other interest. They're taking advantage of each other. And here's, here's what even gets worse. People then were like signing over the deed to their, of their fields and vineyards in order to pay their taxes. But now they don't have any food. And now they don't have any property. So the story tells us that they would sell their sons and daughters to each other as slaves. That's what's going on here. Those who had were buying sons and daughters from those who had not as their own personal servants within their own community. Look again at verses 5 and 6. Verse 5. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. In other words, they were thinking, if if we can get back on our feet, we'll buy our sons and daughters back, but we can't even get back on our feet because we also mortgaged off our fields and vineyards. We have nothing. So verse 6 Nehemiah says, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. It's okay, friends, to get angry about stuff, especially injustice where humanity enslaves humanity. That's a horrible injustice. That is a horrible sin. And Nehemiah says, and we're doing it to each other. We, we were like slaves as captives in Babylon, and then God gave us our freedom, and now what are we doing? We're enslaving each other. We're making slaves of each other. This is not right. So when Nehemiah realizes all that's going on here, look look at how he gives him a piece of his mind. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? Notice that. He says, shouldn't shouldn't we be walking in the fear of God so that we don't bring reproach and make a mockery of ourselves in front of our Gentile enemies? Now, let me just translate this in modern terms. There is a 
an unsaved world that is watching how the church treats itself, how the body of Christ treats one another. And when we don't treat each other right and when we bicker and fight and we have conflict and strife and division and animosity and discord and all this kind of stuff, it brings reproach on the name of God to a watching world. Nehemiah says, when we act like this, our Gentile enemies, they will mock us. So he goes on here to correct them. He says in verse 10, I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let the exacting of usury stop. Now, stop, stop charging them interest. Don't take advantage of them. Just lend to them. They'll get, get it back to you when they can. Verse 11, give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the usury you were charging them, the hundredth part of the money, grain, new wine, and oil. So the hundredth part, see, is 1%, but that's 1% a month over a year, so it's 12% interest is what they're charging. And verse 12, so so the nobles and officials, they get under conviction. Verse 12, we will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. And then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way may God shake out of his house and possessions every man who does not keep this promise. So may such a man be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, amen, and praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. So here's the takeaway. If what threatened their own building project was internal strife and fighting and taking advantage of each other instead of looking out for each other, helping each other, loving each other. It's an important point for all of us. It's number 21 in our own ongoing list here. Point number 21, we must continue to be an others-oriented church. An others-oriented church. In the story here in Nehemiah, there was a population explosion. And let me tell you what happens typically when there's growth. When there's a population explosion, everybody just starts to take care of themselves, figuring everybody else has their own needs covered. Because there's just too many people to worry about, and so I'm just going to look out for myself. I'm not really going to be too worried about anybody else. And that's what everybody does. And the same thing potentially is a problem in a growing church. And the Lord has blessed us and, and grown our church over the years. And, and the, the tendency can be, if we're not careful, if we don't work on this, the tendency can be, everybody just take care of everybody else. You know, I just need to concern myself with, my, with myself and not be too worried about anybody else. And that just is not true because the body of Christ needs to always be looking out for one another, helping, serving, loving, caring for each other, and guarding those things that cause division and discord and strife and envy and all that other kind of stuff. Listen, in a smaller church, and, and by the way, you know, big is not always better, right? And in a smaller church, let me tell you one of the good things about a small, smaller church is that in a smaller church, there's usually, generally speaking, a tighter community where everybody kind of knows each other. Now, that also can be a bad thing where everybody knows each other, like everybody knows your business, you know, that kind of a thing. That's not always a good thing. But generally speaking, like when everybody kind of knows each other, then they can look out for each other. Because you see, Bob always sits on the third row. 
And so when Bob's missing, everybody knows. And so then everybody says, hey, what happened to Bob? You didn't hear? Well, Bob had a heart attack and he's recovering in the hospital. No, I didn't hear that. Let's go visit Bob and let's take some meals to Bob's house for his family. In a larger church, you don't know if Bob goes to Saturday night service, 9 o'clock, 10, 15, or 11.30. You're like, I think Bob's here. I don't even know Bob, you know, because everybody kind of switches up their service. I don't see Bob anymore, but I'm sure he's around, let alone to know if Bob's in the hospital with a heart attack. You see how that works? So therefore, in a growing church, we have to be much more intentional about looking out for each other. And let me tell you how this works. Let me tell you the remedy in a church like ours, okay? And let me preface my remarks by saying this. I, I get it that actually in a larger church, some people actually like to be anonymous. And that's not always a bad thing. I get that. I really do. Some people just need to come. I don't, I don't really want to get involved. Maybe you're going through something and, it, and it's been painful. You just need to kind of come, receive, be ministered to. And, you know, in due time, you'll, you'll come around to maybe finding a place where you can serve. But for a while, you just need to be anonymous. You need to come and go. I actually get that. I don't, I don't fault anybody for that. There's some, there's some things that people go through. They don't, they don't want to be involved. They just want to come, worship, hear the word, and go home. And there might be a season for that. But otherwise, for the other 90%, the remedy to this is, you're going to all have to find about a dozen people that you have connection with in our church. You're going to have to find like about a dozen people. Now, that can happen in a variety of ways. That can be like our small groups that we call our K groups, our koinonia groups. You, find, you get yourself in a home Bible study group. You get to know about another dozen people. Maybe it's because you join a women's Bible study group, you, you join a men's group, uh, maybe, maybe you serve as an usher, and the ushers get to know each other, and they're kind of that connection. Maybe you serve as a greeter, the greeters have that connection. You serve as a Sunday school teacher, the Sunday school teachers kind of know each other. Maybe if, if you're qualified, if you're qualified, you join the worship team. I say qualified, friends. The Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord, but we want a pretty noise. Do you know what I'm saying to you? But the worship team, they become a community that where they've connected with each other. If you're youth, you're part of the youth group, young adults, young... In other words, there's a variety of ways that you can kind of break down a larger church into a smaller community where you know about a dozen people. And then within that framework, you see, when you're hurting or when you have a problem or when you're out of work, that dozen or so people come around you and you do it for them. And that's where community happens in a larger church. But we have to be intentional about this because otherwise you could just come and go, come and go. And nobody ever knows about Bob. Now, I want to take a moment to illustrate this in a very positive way because over the years, I've heard some wonderful things how I, I know that you're others oriented and I just want to stay on that track and improve it because there's always room for growth. And I'm going to brag on you a little bit, all right? I know you go to some churches and they take pride in beating the sheep. Not here, all right? I know some people feel like they haven't even really been to church unless, beat me, pastor, bah! You know, the sheep are like, bah! Tell me something hard. But anyway, there's a time for that. But for today, I just want to brag on you. Because this is, these are the kind of things I hear. And I also assume that if I'm hearing some of these things, it probably represents... That's just the surface. There's probably a lot more stuff going on I don't even know about. 
but God knows. Things like my wife, this is not me talking, I'm talking about stories that I hear. My wife is going in for surgery. It's going to be an all-day thing. And our koinonia group is taking turns watching the kids and making meals for my family. Things like we've had families on several occasions come to us privately as pastors and saying, we know so-and-so in the church has been out of a job for a long time. It's Christmas time. Here's what we want to do. We want to buy a bunch of gifts for their kids. We're going to wrap them. No names. We want it to be anonymous. We're going to bring all the gifts to the church. Can you deliver them to that family? Yeah, sure. We'll be glad to do that. So-and-so in my family is going through chemo. We can't believe how our whole community of people that we know have put together this online calendar and meals are being taken based on certain days that people can prepare meals and take them over to this family. I had the wonderful privilege of just being the middleman a couple of years ago on a situation where there was a man in our church who had terminal cancer. He has since gone on to be with the Lord. But when he was in the latter several months, and those of you who have been through stuff like this, you know how medical bills pile up. You can't work. And then how do you pay for expenses? And so there was a situation of a family in our congregation just like that and another family. I don't even know who they are. I intentionally stay away from knowing these kind of things. Contacted our finance office. Said, we know that this man who's been the major breadwinner, he's, he's uh, been out of work for many months. They have a lot of bills. We want to give $30,000 to this family. And we want to do it anonymously. So could we do it through the church and then you all cut them a check? And I who had nothing to do with it, had the tremendous joy of sitting down with this family in my office and saying somebody in our church wanted you to have $30,000. That's the kind of thing that happens around here. I was having breakfast this week with a friend of mine, Derek Ellison, who's the regional director of Fellowship of Christian Athletes here, and he and I get together about once a month. He doesn't attend here at Cornerstone, but he said, I got a great story to tell you about some Cornerstone people. I said, all right, tell me. He said, I'm in downtown Leesburg, had a little fender bender. He said, I was at a stop sign. I don't know. He, he mentioned the name in passing, but I, I honestly don't remember who the person was. So I'm not, this, is a, this turns out to be a good story. But you know who you are, and God bless you for this. He said, I'm at a stop sign. There's a car in front of me. And the car in front of me is directly at the stop sign. And there's a family that's trying to cross the street and use the crosswalk. But the car in front of me was too far over the crosswalk. So the car in front of me just quickly backed up to make room for the family crossing, didn't look in the rearview mirror, backed up too quickly. He said, hit me right in the front. He said, I was laying on the horn, but it still hit me. And so he said, got out of my car, and he said, you know, I had a shirt on that said Fellowship of Christian Athletes on the logo here. <laughs> and he said, so, you know, this very nice lady is so apologetic, and she saw the logo on my shirt. She said, oh, FCA, oh, I'm a Christian too. She says, I go to Cornerstone. And he says, okay, great. Well, they exchanged numbers. Uh, long, short of the story is that her husband then called him and said, hey, I want to stay out of the insurance whole reporting thing. You know how that goes, right? Keep your insurance company out of it if you can. He says, I just want to pay for it directly. You take your car here in town to the auto body shop. I'll come in. I'll pay the bill when it's all done. He said, great. That works for me. So when the time came, this is just last week, man showed up, paid the bill. 800 bucks, 
And then he said, I also just felt led of the Lord. My wife and I just wanted to bless you and your ministry. Don't know you, never met you before. Know that you were with Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Handed him an envelope full of cash. Paid the bill, gave him an envelope full of cash just to bless him. Never met him before. There's a lady sitting in the lobby hearing this exchange. She stands up. She goes, hey, I go to Cornerstone too. (laughs) Isn't that great? She, and she goes, this has just so blessed me to hear this whole exchange. I'm just so blessed by that. See, we don't even know sometimes when we are others-oriented how it even blesses somebody else who wasn't even in the mix. My point is this, friends. We have to be focused on how we can still love people, care for people, share with people, serve with people. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He says, consider others better than yourselves. He says, each one should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And then to illustrate that, the following verses are these. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, being made in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul says this, he says, listen, look at the example of Christ, how humble he was, divested himself of his glory, left the glory of heaven, condescended to our level, took on flesh, became like us to serve us and to save us. And Paul says, let the attitude that was in Christ Jesus be also in you. Be humble. Think of others more important than yourself. Look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Follow the example of Christ. Serve other people. Love other people. Help other people. Now, I understand some of you hearing this, you're actually needing to be at the receiving end right now. You're like, I kind of, I don't really have much to give because I'm at a bad place right now. I'm going, that's fine. We all are going to go through hills and valleys. So, When you're at a place right now where you need to be on the receiving end, somebody's going to be pouring into your life. And then as the Lord ministers to you, when you come through that, you're going to be able to minister to somebody else. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And eventually it'll come around so that we can be used by the Lord to minister to people in ways that we've been ministered to. But we have to keep this question in mind always going forward, friends. What can I do to either ease the burden of or to bless another? To be looking around always and asking the Lord, what can I do to either ease the burden of or to bless another? Nehemiah faced a daunting task of leading one of the waves of returning exiles and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. The work was hard and slow. 
and filled with setbacks and struggles, including enemies who came up against them. The great thing about Nehemiah was that he wasn't a priest and he wasn't a Levite. In fact, he wasn't in professional ministry in any way. You may not be a pastor, but God can use your experience and willingness all the same. Who knows what amazing things he may have in store for you if you'll open yourself to his leading and step out in faith. You have a great journey awaiting you. Just ask God to open your eyes to his plan. We'd love to pray for you along this journey, too. Are you facing a difficult situation? Call us and share your prayer requests at 703-771-1500. To hear more great messages from Pastor Gary Hamrick, look us up online at cornerstoneconnection.cc or subscribe to our podcast. You can also take Cornerstone Connection with you on our mobile app to listen to whenever and wherever you are. That's it for today. We pray you continue to see God in your everyday experiences and that you feel His presence in your life today. Be sure to tune in again for another exciting edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know 